this can't be this this can't be right (laughs) and just the devs panicking outright really crazy um speaking of doubt um were you surprised by how well doubt was able to embrace this whole streamer personality with uh the whole thanking for donations thanking for subscriptions (laughs) talking to viewers answering questions you know just being like social were you surprised i mean his stream is awesome has the podcast started by the way um, yeah, the whole time. Okay, this okay, has been on the whole okay, time. cool. <laughs> um, doubt embracing the stream personality. Obviously, like uh, I would like to take some credit probably for getting Doubt to stream because uh, I obviously had met Doubt in person and everything, so I knew how he's like and such. I knew that if he just be is himself, sits on stream, chills, and makes jokes and whatever, he would be able to entertain people. So I uh, kept trying yeah. to push Doubt to actually start streaming. And I'm not surprised that he was able to get a successful stream, but it definitely took him some time probably to get used to the whole like thanking people and giving them attention and like <laughs> being uh, thankful for things that he are, is getting, right? So Yeah, I mean, I feel like I need to clarify why exactly I'm even asking you this, but <laughs> mm-hmm. if you only knew doubt after he started streaming, you'd be forgiven to not having a clue why am I asking this. But the thing is, uh, Doubt was famously known for not talking to anyone, right? (laughs) If you ever tried to contact him through Woobly or AOE Zone or email or whatever, you could be 100% absolutely certain he would not answer back to you. Uh, in (laughs) In fact, I even remember there were some rumors flying around that Doubt wouldn't even answer back to you. When you first yeah. joined the Tyrant clan, is that true? Uh, well, when I joined Tyrant, he has answered for the most part. But uh, like throughout the like when I started playing, I was doubt was the best player, and uh, I always as I started to get better, I always wanted to play with him. Whenever I joined the game with him, I would say things, and he would never answer. If I sent him a private message, tried to ask if he wants to play, no answer ever. The, like the only times he would actually answer is when he wanted to play himself. Right, that's mm-hmm. when he answered. So he was more of a guy that. If he wants to, he will he will answer. But if he has nothing to gain right now because he doesn't want to play right now, he can't be bothered. <laughs> so that was uh, his way of doing it. There was this uh, Masters of Arabia 2v2, which I'm pretty sure you and Jordan won. I don't remember when this was. And Doubt was playing with Dreams. I oh, definitely yeah, remember this. <laughs> and Dreams was streaming. I mean, he was mm-hmm. basically the only streamer back then, Dreams, actually. And... Doubt would not communicate at all, obviously. So Dreams from time to time would just type, hey, Doubt, is everything okay? And Doubt, no, I'm dead. (laughs) Like every single game. (laughs) Every single game he would do that. And Dreams was just raging at the stream. It was so funny. I don't think Doubt took that serious or that 2-2 tournament serious at all. He was probably just memeing around doing his thing. I don't think I watched any of the games, but yeah, uh, it sounds like something he... He would do to dreams as well. Like he probably got pleasure from bringing dreams team down. In that case, <laughs> that's how I imagine that. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned you didn't watch any games, and the thing is, you could not watch any games, right? I mean, uh, at best, you had recorded games when a yeah. tournament was over, uh, but streaming, it was just dreams and maybe zero empires from time to time. Even though he was more of a YouTube guy, right? I think VH even as well was also mm. doing a little bit of streaming there. Like, I think I had also started streaming back then, but I, like, just did it once or twice, and then I, like, didn't stream for two years or so. Because um, I had my Twitch channel for the first time. I went live on what was back then, like, Justin TV or something. Right, Justin TV was, was the beginning of Twitch. Yeah, 
I think I went live for the first time back in 2012 even. But yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, back in then back then there was if you compare the community back then to now, like all the all the discussions and all the engagement with the community was like on AV zone or in Wubly or whatnot. But now it's like AV zone is still there, but it's more like for the <laughs> people that need more HMM person in their life. And then everything else happens live on streams in Twitch chat, YouTube comments, whatnot. So the whole landscape has changed so much but even twitch was totally different or just in tv i mean mm. i definitely remember your streams where you wouldn't even talk i mean web i think you had a webcam already on but it was basically just music in the background no problem with copyrighted music back then yeah. absolutely no problem at all and it was just you playing and it was fun it was tons of fun actually yeah i remember those times i mean Back then, I also struggled with the whole multitasking of playing and talking at the same time. And I was also in that phase where I still wanted to improve, improve myself back then. So for me, it was more like uh, if I also want to commentate, I'll be probably more likely to lose. And I didn't want to lose back then. Mm -hmm. Back then was more of a try hard uh, atmosphere for me. So that's kind of the reason why I would do more no comment commentary streams back then. Also just for my own comfort, right? To have to talk and engage with people. It can be scary, you know? <laughs> but, uh, People are scary when you're a gamer, yeah, right? Exactly, um, right. But, right, uh, I, I definitely need to tell this story, though. I just I just remember it before I, for, I forgot. Uh, it's still on doubt. Um, this was the Top Experts League number two, which I organized. And I believe it was Doubt versus Slam. I'm not entirely sure on that. But anyway, back then, we didn't have the Hidden Civilizations feature. You remember this. So mm -hmm. uh, I... I still wanted to give the players the possibility of picking a sieve without their opponents knowing which sieve you've picked. And so what I ended up doing is I just simply requested players to message me in private what they wanted their sieves to be, and then I would just announce it in the lobby. So the mm -hmm. first game of a series was always a Hunt's War, so no problem there. And But then on the second game, I would expect players to message me, but this was doubt. So... <laughs> um, I'm there waiting for players to send me their, their sieves. Slam does it, of course. Nothing from Doubt, obviously. So, hey, Doubt, I'm waiting on your sieve. <laughs> Nothing. So then I just simply decide to write it in the lobby. Hey, we're still waiting for the player's sieves in order to launch the game. And Doubt goes like, well, what if I do want my opponent to know my sieve? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there's literally... No reason for you to tell your opponent your sieve and not have him tell you your sieve because you can't even argue you were mind gaming or something. Because once you said your sieve, you could not change it back. But this just goes to show how deep he was in this mindset of just not answering to anyone. Yeah, I think back then as well he was super. Obviously he was probably still a top expert. League. Maybe he wasn't the best player anymore, but he was still against an opponent like Slam. He probably still felt super comfortable or confident. So in those scenarios, he would definitely probably don't wouldn't even care if Slam got told his sieve. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he he was even considering putting himself at a disadvantage. Just yeah. you know, just stick it up to me. Not going to answer there, back, no, man. Yeah, but that's weird as well because Top Experts League back then was even probably one of the more prestigious events we had. Well, uh, it was kind of the only recurring series we had, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I actually remember not 
I was a little bit annoyed about the format because after I won the first, I couldn't play the rest. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, ones. I had to sit in the sidelines for the next edition. So <laughs> that was a little bit annoying, actually. But well, uh, you did win the first series, let's yeah. obviously, and that's why you didn't get to play the other ones. And you won the very last one where the winner of each series uh, got to play. Of course, yeah. you did. Um, yeah. So, but let, let's get let's get back to the beginning of your career. So, your father is PKZ. He mm-hmm is the founder and the lead administrator of AoEZone.net, formerly known as AOCZone.net. Was he like the first, your first contact with the game? Uh, for sure, obviously. Um, I was probably nine or 10 years old back in, like I even think the first game I played was Edge Vampires 1. Because I remember, I vaguely remember seeing those uh, villagers with spears hunting lions. Uh, oh, wow. Or throwing spears at lions. That was like, I was like, mind blown. Oh, this is so cool, you know? And uh, yeah, my dad would let me play sometimes during weekends. Uh, I would like he would just be like, because he usually the Sundays for us would be like we would just wake up, have a normal day, and then we go to um, a prayer's house for like two hours. And as a reward for being nice and calm during those uh, two hours, I would sometimes be like allowed to sit down on his computer and just play some Age of Empires. And that also trend continued with Age of Empires too. And um, I think we even tried empire earth when that came out like my dad was like hyped and like told me that there's new age of empires out empire earth and it was so bad <laughs> so, <laughs> i don't think uh, i played it did it come like after age of empires 2 yeah it was after age of empires 2 i'm not sure if it's like labeled as a like follow-up to age of empires i don't mm-hmm. think so but it was like a similar kind of concept right rts game you go through the ages but that one went so far through the ages you went to like uh super modern warfare and you know it us who like age vampires we like the the medieval era medieval with, thing with swords and shields and bow and arrow and those types of things so that right. game didn't wasn't a hit with us but yeah back in 2000 1999 probably is when i played age for the first time it's kind of funny because i remember i played literally hundreds of games with your father and with katsuni too mm-hmm. um Pretty sure it was on Land Nomad, of course, but Sounds only found out it was your father, the father of the great Viper, much later. And uh, now, your father played exclusively Land Nomad, and I believe you played exclusively Land Nomad too in the beginning, right? Correct. Well, so like since I played the game since I was a kid, obviously I was 19 years old back then. Even back then, my dad played mostly Land Nomad. Um, but I, I, from the phase, probably from 2001 until like 2010, I didn't really play H. At least not random map. We actually had a, a community that played like Lord of the Rings scenarios on in Age of Empires. Dave was actually part of that. Yeah, and yeah. Dave was a custom scenario guy his yeah, whole life. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we would meet during summers throughout that whole phase of so those nine, ten years, ten years. We would meet during summers and just play Age of Empires, uh, Lord of the Rings uh, custom maps. Uh, great times there, by the way. Uh, but yeah, and then back in 2010, I had just moved back home. And obviously, I saw my father still playing Age of Empires, naturally. And uh, yeah, I started playing again. I, the map I remember playing was Land Nomad. And I played it exclusively for probably a year and a half almost. It's kind of weird, right? Because that used to be such a popular map, Land Nomad. Uh, not only in ladder games, also in tournaments. I mean, we had a major team game tournament dedicated to the map, uh, the Tribal Wars. I think it was 2012. And now it just seems like the map has completely disappeared from the game. What happened? I think the main reason it was played a lot. I mean, we obviously people who follow the competitive scene is like when the Tyrant sponsor 
who is the guy who put up that all those things, was around, it was a lot of Land Nomad. And that's why people think, I think people have like this memory of Land Nomad being super popular and played a lot. But yeah, once he kind of stopped sponsoring tournaments, I don't even know if there's been Land Nomad included in tournaments ever since then. Well, the, the Nations Cup. Uh, okay, the Nations the Cup. SY Nations Cup. And, but that's mostly because I loved the map and I organized <laughs> the tournament and I really wanted to have it in there. Yeah. But it's like, then it's like only like one map uh, very rarely throughout the tournament, right? In a set. Mm-hmm. Well, but we definitely had experts. Uh, I mean, Land Nomad experts, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Tyrant sponsor himself was a, a very good, I don't know if he was good, but he was at least decent Land Nomad player, right? Yeah, he was He was pretty good, obviously. He got uh, very close guidance from uh, Cab himself, uh, who is probably the guy to go to for Land Nomad. So, uh. um, Looking back at it now, you haven't played the map probably in a long time. Is it a noob map or is it a great map? Um, <clears throat> I think it's a good map for entertainment, for playing it. I think, I think it can be fun to play. The issue with the map is that it's, um, well, at least it used to be very civ dependent, right? If you played 4-4 Land Nomad with random civs, it's like the other the one team spawned with Chinese Mayans, game over. Um, the issue for competitive sake is just the pace, right? You start, you three villagers really have to slow. do a lumber camp first, then collect the wood to make a town center. While uh, like Nomad, for example, is obviously, it's more popular because it's more wild. There's water involved as well. You but can lame a lot, your right? Yeah, you build a TC right away, you build a dock right away, like the game starts. With Land Nomad, it's like you build a lumber camp, you chop a chop a wood for like you wait until you get minutes, 2075. You exactly. If you like there's so many games where you don't find any sheep, you place your lumber camp. You can't even scout. <laughs> you, do <anything. laughs> you sit there for like three minutes chopping trees, and then you're like, okay, yeah. Let's build a town center. It's like the perfect map to play with your friends. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I don't think it belongs in a tournament. That, that's definitely true. Right, so uh, I believe your first big clan was RVK. Is that true? Um, well, big clan. I, I remember being a, a part of a clan called Knights of the Realm back that in like 2000. back memories, yeah. Yeah, like it was K-O-T-R in brackets. Like Because my dad was a part of that clan, so mm-hmm. he was able to sneak me in as well. Uh I was part of that clan for a little bit, but obviously I, I wasn't really too active or anything back then. Mm-hmm. But, right, but uh, when you joined RVK, I believe they had they had the big names already. Yeah. I believe Dogan was there, uh, Chris was there, Jordan was there, right? So did they contact you? Did you apply? How was this whole process? I don't remember if Chris was still a part of RVK. I think he had already gone on and made like, his own team. Because mm-hmm. that was for the World Clan League 7 when I joined. And Chris was not part of the team. He had his own team for that. I think it was actually teaming with uh, Spring. And wow, some was, guys back was, then. Pr- was Spring active back there too? Wow. Well, this is this is 2011, 12? Uh, 11, right? Well, Clan League 7, when uh, when I joined RVK. Yeah, Tribal Wars was 2012, so probably yeah. WCL was 20, 2011. Yeah, sounds about yeah. right. That's when I joined RVK. Um, I was, I think Dogao is the guy who wrote to me. Obviously, I had been, that That was during the phase where I was kind of getting my rise in terms of skill level. I was getting on people's radar. And so it was Jordan, Ryut, and Dogao having a team. And they wanted a fourth player. And uh, me and Jordan had actually started hitting it off a little bit in terms of like we got each other's humor and kind of things like that already so i so think that's where the bromance started yeah that's where it started kind of um but 
Yeah, so Dogao just wrote to me and said, like, hey, we need a fourth for a WCL7. Would you be interested in joining us? And obviously me, who was ambitious oh. back then, uh, having been reached out to by these three guys, Dogao, Riot, and Jordan. Jordan obviously was still was a top player back then. Riot was potentially considered the best player, along with, like, Doubt, like the only guy that would come. Uh, he a wouldn't challenge. play that much, but he would be like, whenever he came, and if Riot played against Doubt, like, because Riot beat Doubt in the... Brain Champions League, something like that. I don't remember. A, so it was like, a big brain cup, with an, big, not not big brain. Brain yeah. cup championship. Brain something. BB, BCC. It was BBC or BCC. BBC. BBC. Yeah, or... something like that. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a it was like a big event because Riot actually beat Doubt in that tournament, and whenever Riot and Doubt played Raider games, it was like that was the, the uh, hype thing. in the community, right? And, and yeah, I would see Riot uh, just randomly show up and beat out 2-0 on the in like rated games, and I was just like, "This guy must be amazing, right?" Um, that, that must have stung for Doubt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think Doubt was a little bit like. I mean, back then Doubt was probably in his like laziest AOE phase as well. So I'm not sure how good his shape was and so. But uh, yeah, to join Riot, Togawa, and Jordan back then was uh, was a big moment for me. It's obviously it was still a super small tournament on today's terms and everything, but you know it was still a cool thing to be able to join such a good team. Definitely. When did the jump to Tyrant occur? Because it was your next big step, right? Uh, we actually had a training match against Tyrant in before WCL, where if we won that training match, we would become Tyrant Two. Wow! So me, Riot, Jordan, and Dugal were playing. Like I think it was a best of seven against which was then halen grunt and cab and uh, we lost i think four three so that stung quite a bit wow i don't think i played this no i actually i think i played one or two games there i was obviously the the bench player back then um i played one or two games i think i won one and lost one but yeah we, we remember that stung because we knew that they were getting paid a little bit of money to be a part of tyrant and we were like if we can join tyrant we can all probably also get paid a little we can bit make you know? it and we were obviously kids back then. And so any types of small amounts, you know, when you're 18 compared to when you're 20. Would have been crazy. Would have been crazy, different, different world in terms of what money can do for you. Um, so yeah, that was a big hit to us. But yeah, we still entered the tournament wanting to win. Uh, obviously, we lost again in the final. And uh, yeah, I remember after that, Cab, had, I don't know who he talked to, but he's he was saying that he doesn't understand why I didn't play more. Because he found me to be the best water player in the team. I think he also said I was the best normal player, something like that. And he saw the potential, right? He was like, he didn't understand why I didn't play. So was uh, it after the tournament? Yeah. That despite the losing, KCAP said, yeah. I want to have you guys. So after the tournament, he... Um, so Grunt and Halen was going to retire after the tournament. They came back just for that tournament and then they were about to leave again. Uh, Cab and Doubt wanted to continue. So they needed to fill out the roster again, right? And so they needed two people. And obviously we we were aware of that and we didn't know who they would go for. Obviously I, who was the bench player, did not expect to be picked up. I was like, okay, well, it was probably Riot, maybe the gal, maybe Jordan. But yeah, then then Cab approached both me and Jordan and asked us, hey, you guys want to join our team? And I was just like, awesome. Well, Absolutely, <laughs> right? So uh, I think it was because of your age. You're you're younger than those guys, right? Mm, uh, Riot is the youngest one of us, uh, and really, me, yeah, me, Dogao, and Jordan, I think, is the same 
uh, year. Okay, so Rhea I got the is, uh, one year younger than us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was not age. It was no. just that he saw the potential in you. Yeah, I think so. I think he both saw the potential in Jordan as well and also in me. And uh, I don't think you can argue with that uh, choice in the end, considering nope. how it went nope. from there. Nope. <laughs> but um, yeah. So Ryut obviously got picked up as well shortly after. Shortly after. Yeah, that was yeah. only for the what is coming, I believe, right? Yeah. Tyrant sponsor wanted a second team as well. He wanted to like get first and second place in the tournaments, so he wanted a second team as well. And we were obviously right away recommending Riot because uh, fantastic player, obviously. And and I guess he then got fire to get mm-hmm. invited to, and they got slammed to, and back T I believe was the second team. Yeah, the process there was weird because uh, we needed to fill out the roster, but also we didn't want to like screw over teams particularly, mm-hmm. right? So it was like Riot was already confirmed, and it was like we asked Riot. I was not a part of this process, obviously, but like Cap did ask us for our opinions on who we who we think is a good fit and such. So Riot was pretty much asked, "Who do you want to be on your team?" Because Riot was kind of going to be the captain for that team. Uh, he wanted Fire along, um, and then I think there was talks about Goku or another Brazilian as well. Yeah, as but, a Fire Fire used to play with Goku all yeah. the time, but I think that that was actually shut down because he wasn't considered good enough as a player um and then it was just about finding the the rest of the players which ended up being back to in slam which is quite weird because you have two brazilians and then you get one vietnamese player and one canadian player um i mean the scheduling the scheduling yeah, problems yeah. back then nightmare nightmare <laughs> the biggest um, nightmare ever but i think the argument for it working was because obviously we were going to be paid a little bit of money to represent tyrant and such and um when they were paid for example like in vietnam a couple of dollars goes a long way <laughs> so for back day was no issues waking up 3 a.m no problem i'll be there right fire as well uh just fire and riot had to wake up like 5 a.m a lot of times to train with us so i, I don't envy that in europe we were kind of in the sweet spot in between so for us it was kind of always bearable but yeah i just remember sitting up to like 6 7 a.m playing land nomad Eight hours straight with the Tyrant sponsor. Wow. <laughs> long, long days. <laughs> um, speaking of Tyrant sponsor, after so many years, so he stopped being ac- active now mm, four years, maybe five years even. Um, how much are you willing to unveil the true identity of the mysterious Tyrant sponsor? <laughs> um, he, he obviously, like, he has a lot of money. Like, it was like, Anything he gave to Age of Empires was just like a snap of the fingers and like he didn't even notice it was gone. Um, and obviously people saw us being in like the f- five-star hotels and everything. So Yeah, so just to make it clear, uh, the what was available to the public, what was mm-hmm. available to the plebs like me, is that this is an, uh, a filthy rich guy, an incredibly mm-hmm. wealthy individual from Dubai who obviously has or had or left for Age of Empires. I mean, you guys were lucky enough to be invited to his palace, I believe is an accurate description, right? A couple, couple uh, of different palaces. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, all expenses taken care of, obviously, yeah. and you even got to engage in some pretty wild adventures back there. I mean, there yes. are some YouTube videos around with you, Jordan, Riot, K-Cap, skydiving. Um, but he always wanted to to be an, uh, anonymous, right? He only yeah. uh, wanted to stay in the shadows, so to speak. Yeah, like for him, Age Empress wasn't a, like, if you see sponsor these days, it's like, yes, I can give money, but I want something in return. 
for him, it was just like, this game is fun to me. It's, it's enjoyment for me, entertainment. I'll give you guys money. Let's go. Let's win together. Like, you're my team. Let's win and things like that. And we would get rewards if we did well in tournaments or if we, like, like those Dubai trips as well. Uh, he obviously requested to stay anonymous. We obviously know who he, who he is. We met him in person and such. But I also, so much, he did so many things for us that I would never betray that request of his to stay anonymous. Uh, obviously. So I, yeah, I had I would, to I, ask, you know, I just had yeah, to of ask. Course, I, I understand. <laughs> but uh, he did so much for us and he did so much for Age of Empires as well. I don't think if he was around, I don't think we would be in the situation we are right now. So even though he's gone now, obviously, uh, we still. His legacy lives on. Exactly. Um, speaking of KCAP, and I demand full honesty from you in this one. Is KCAP the most overrated player in the history of Age of Empires 2? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> you may have expected me to answer yes there, but... <laughs> uh, not really, but... Uh, so I'm just gonna, uh, gonna tell you what I think. I mean, some people love to describe him, describe him as this great mastermind of Age of Empires 2, right? Mm -hmm. capable of coming up with the most incredible, unpredictable, and brilliant strategies. So basically like the Yoda of Age of Empires 2. Um, and yet, for me at least, time and time again, his playing showed that whenever he played 4v4s, and that's mostly what he did, uh, he would be the first one to die every single time, and sometimes in pretty embarrassing fashion too. I remember a couple of games. Uh, anyway, you guys still ended up winning, obviously, because his other teammates were you, Jordan, and Doubt, pretty much the three best players in the world. Decent so, but team. that's um, that's what people like me, who are very much on the outside, uh, got to see. So, um, what's your what's yeah. your take? How good was he really? So, I would compare him. It, he's very different to Taro, but in terms of the role in a team, I would compare him a little bit to Taro right now. If we play 4v4s, if there's anyone who's going to do like slinging or like sneaky forward and walling and laming and all these kind of things that just is long-term good for the team, but he kind of sacrificed himself a little bit. That's kind of the role Cab served back then as well. If anyone was ever slinging in our games, it was Cab. Cab always viewed us like uh, we are better players, executioners than him. But he is willing to put down the work to do, like, he he practiced slinging. Can you believe that? <laughs> you practice slinging. You practice building up your economy, stonewalling, and sending resources. He trained that hours and hours. Okay, it's let insane. me just say something. But, uh, I mean, the comparison with Tato, for me, doesn't really work. Because Tato is an excellent 1v1 player. Of course, he's a okay. fantastic one v one player, and KCAP, I don't know. I never saw him play one v one. I mean, he wouldn't participate in any one v one tournament. Yeah. So, um, how much? I guess this is what I want to know. How much of his team game skills were just him playing with three exceptionally good players? Yeah. So this is where I'm going to reveal why I completely disagree with the statement that he is overrated. Um, I don't remember which one v one tournament it was. There was one during the... Maybe it was Clash of the Titans. No. Actually, I don't remember exactly. Oh, but I think it was training for the one we ones during uh, World... Uh, not World. Uh, the big... War is Coming. War is Coming. Yeah. There were one 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 games inside War is, War is Coming as well, right? So, I trained, obviously, with all my teammates. Jordan, Doubt, and Cab. The guy that beat me the most was Cab. Wow. I would clap Jordan. I would clap Doubt. But Cab, he was the one who actually took proper wow. games from me. How was so, he one, his 1v1 style then? Uh, he, he 
like he could do this thing where he would try to mimic other people very well. But his 1v1 style was um, very strategic, as you can expect. Uh, but like when he actually played 1v1s, I, I'm still sad that he never signed up for 1v1 tournaments because he was a really good 1v1 player. But he could... Um, like decision-making, right? Because my strength in many ways was... Obviously, I was good at macro, micro, all those things. But decision-making was where I kind of like outplayed a lot of people. But I didn't have that. I didn't feel like I had that edge that much over cab. So in some games, he would just like make the better decisions and therefore I would lose. And um, I actually learned my arena style a little bit from him in terms of how he approached it. For example, this is a thing Loisa did very well as well. Like there might Loisa be a better... An exceptional uh, arena yeah, player. For sure. There's like a thing where it might make more sense to go for a unique unit. But if you need that castle to produce trebuchets instead, you want to supplement that with military from other places because you want to focus on trebuchet production. Defender and that's something friends. that didn't really click too early for me. But when I saw Cap doing it and like kind of get that, and I also saw Loiza do it at a later stage with Aztecs, for example, in Aztecs War, where most people would go Jaguars, Loiza went trebuchets and champions instead. So he could take down the castles while having military as well. Those were the small time type of things that Cap did really well in terms of like just reading the and making a correct judgment in the game um also just to point out on his team game thing cab wasn't a strategic mastermind that people think he didn't come up with <laughs> amazing strategies he didn't come up with all these things what cab did exceptionally well was the small details in terms of even on land moment like when how many villages should you have like a water map how many villages do you need on wood to get like a two dock fish boom going he would train those things to the to the core in terms of like figuring out the right build order to maximize the efficiency those are the things that cab did exceptionally well and like i said he trained slinging right no one in their wildest dreams would think about training slinging but cab did it and that's that's where he contributed a lot to the team in terms of like for there's one map as well where there's like town centers you start in the in like each your aisle in the middle of the map with water and then the surrounding is land as well. I don't decentering. Decentering, yeah, yeah NC exactly. decentering. Yeah, exactly. And Cap, that was always the question whether you should TC your island or move outside first and exactly. then TC. Exactly. And Cab, he trained build orders with Vikings, Chinese, all our civs. He trained our build orders for that map. Like he took care of all of that. Those he did are the, the things. Dirty work. Yeah, exactly. Those are the things he did exceptionally well and. That's how he contributed mostly to the team. Regarding like actual strategies, I think it was mostly me and Jordan coming up with those. And Cab was a part of that discussion as well. Doubt never showed up. Doubt didn't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doubt just showed up and like he did his job, right? Uh, but yeah, strategies was, I would say, still mostly me, Jordan, and Cab to a certain extent. Cab did the small details. Crazy. Um, was Clash of the Titans... 2013, I believe. Was that your first big 1v1 tournament win? Well, I, I tell the story a few times on, on stream. I'm not sure if you heard the whole Bitcoin story where uh, I did win. Oh, with the AOK tournament. I did yeah. hear that. But was that a major tournament for you? Well, I mean, if, if I took the Bitcoins, it would have been the well, biggest now <laughs> win ever. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Clash of the Titans was probably the one where I was like, okay, I am actually one of the best. Or like, potentially the best although i feel like that tournament as well with the format yeah there's yeah <laughs> yeah you might have well, just... i mean you played by the rules you won so let me just make yeah. uh, clear what happened um so in the last 
stage of the tournament. It was a uh, round robin, right? Mm -hmm. It was six players. And the system was built like this. Each win gives you a point, right? Uh, and so it came to this, that you, you beat everybody mm -hmm. except for Jordan. And mm -hmm. Jordan did beat everybody, but he still ended up being second place. And the reason is that you beat everybody 5-0, or a lot of people 5-0, 4-1. And Jordan struggled a little bit more, but he beat everybody. So a lot of people said maybe Jordan should have won. Uh, but you played by the rules, you won it. Yeah, obviously, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I still feel somewhat that I deserve to win the tournament. Um like even if Jordan beat me by the rules, I think I should have like because I I trolled one game against say my name, which like I was leading four zero and then I went for a troll strategy and I lost one game game and it was like a it was so stupid right. Uh, so if I had that point, I would have still beat Jordan even though he beat even though like at the end I think the last round was me against Doubt and I had to win five zero to and win the tournament. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like I put so much extra pressure on myself by throwing a game for free against Samani. So I was quite annoyed by that. It's one, funny, you know, I was I, I I was visiting Jordan during that game. <laughs> Me and my wife went to visit him and we watched that. that game together. And yeah. we were just like, damn, I mean I was rooting for Jordan, of course. I was next to him. Yeah, of course. It was just damn doubt. Just win a game, man. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the worst part is the the game five in that set. I was up four zero. Game five, I was in a really rough spot against Doubt. Uh, but that I was the also, that was one of the things that uh, that I uh, took from Cab's playstyle in terms of it was a Saracens war on Arabia, and Doubt went for Mamelukes, Castle production. I went for heavy camels and trebuchets and onagers and whatnot. So I went for like army numbers to raid to kill it, like because camels still do very well against Mamelukes. Well, Doubt went for the power unit, and this is similar to how Aztecs like Jaguars versus Champions. Uh, I was able to win the game because of decision making and obviously it was a big relief now the thing that makes me feel a little bit bad is that jordan he never really won a, only one tournament wow like uh like uh that's always gonna probably like be a little well, an issue on his cv well let's be fair right after clash of the titans the for me best series that this game has ever seen was organized <clears throat> by mm -hmm. yours truly <clears throat> and uh Jordan, spoilers, did beat you on a best of 21. So, I I mean, I remember he was feeling really good after that. Mm -hmm. So, that's kind of a consolation prize. Uh, now, something else. It was pretty much around this time, I believe, that streaming was really starting to take off uh, in the professional scene, right? And uh, this was also the time, as you just said, where you were starting to, to really cement your position as the best player in the world. And to me personally, it was perfectly obvious from the very beginning that you had everything that it takes to become a successful streamer. And yet you only choose to do that. You only chose to do that in 2016, I believe. 2016 was when you started going full stream. So what I wanted to know is, what were your plans for life back then? <laughs> what did you want to do? What kind of jobs did you do? What kind of jobs did you want to do? Yeah, so this is around 2013, 14, I guess, in that area. Yeah, correct. I believe the best of 21 was 2014. Yeah. So the Tyrant sponsor was still a part of the scene back then. Mm -hmm. So I obviously got some money through that. And I, I, 
I had some small jobs at my island where I was like also working at the gym. I was like helping people with their exercises so that make sure to do ex- exercises right. I was having classes with people that have heart issues to give them like softer training so they don't overdo it. I also did a little bit of work for my my uncle has a cleaning company. You know, I did some small jobs there as well. I didn't really have I'm not a guy that I don't think far ahead if that makes sense. I don't think Let it happen. 15 20 years ahead, right? Some things are in front of me. Obviously, like long-term perspectives, uh, short-term perspectives, like a year from now, sure. But like I, back then, I was like, I was happy with where I was. I was, I, I lived with my parents still, so I had some sort of buffer in terms, so I didn't have to pay rent. Um, so that was made it easier for me. I was able to play Age of Empires and do those small jobs to earn some money and be able to like pay what I needed. Um, I didn't really have a vision. I was I was reaching a point when the time sponsor left, like say 2015, late 2015, early 2016, where I started thinking about okay, I can see that he's getting less and less involved, the time sponsor, so I'm gonna have to actually plan my future now. And then it was just like, um, what do I actually want to do? I have no freaking clue. <laughs> so uh, I the thing that came closest to me was that my dad obviously is a is a developer and whatnot. So I thought about starting to learn coding. I could learn that from home. My dad could help me if I needed help. So that's kind of what I started doing a little bit. But I realized fast that I just don't have the patience to sit there and learn all these uh, coding stuffs, whatever. Uh, so that I pushed that to the side quite early on. But the big thing for me was I started streaming a little bit again actively. Like before the... Um, I think it's the last tournament even that was sponsored by a Tyrant sponsor. No, it wasn't even Tyrant sponsor. It was the Chinese sponsor. Uh, it was the one that was in China. Arabian Invitational? No, no, no. It was... Um... Well, he, sp- he sponsored the uh, Clan League. Uh... Yeah, that's the, that's the one. Uh, don't master, Clan Masters Master, League? Clan Masters League, correct. Something like that, yeah. So before that event, which obviously we qualified for the LAN event in China... I started against China, against China, yeah, right? Exactly. Against the China team yeah. with Dogon back then. Yeah, true. <laughs> so I, I qualified for, we qualified for that, but I started streaming a little bit more that time. And suddenly I saw like, okay, getting some decent viewer numbers here. People are it tuning in. It was obvious. It was yeah. obvious you would make getting, it. Getting some donations and like, people are subscribing. This actually, this is like decent money. Maybe I should try to test this out more, right? And yeah, I went to the I went to China, obviously. I took a little bit of break from streaming because I went there. And then I got sick in China as well, so I had to stay there like two extra weeks. <laughs> yeah, we all remember that. A, yeah. a couple of funny and not so funny stories have been have been thrown around, but I, I, yeah. I don't want to go into that right now. <laughs> um, yeah. So at some point, uh, again, it was 2016, I believe, when you mm-hmm. made the decision to go full-time mm-hmm. streamer. And I believe it was shortly after that that you um, you left your parents' home. You went on to leave with, I believe it was your cousin, right? Who mm-hmm. goes by the nickname Toplo and was, was sort of a meme of your channel back then, right? Yes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you have two brothers and one sister. Is that right? Correct. 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 And I definitely remember a couple of uh, very cute moments where your little brother came up to you and wanted to show you something. And you mm-hmm. just took him on your lap and you listened really carefully. Uh, what I'm trying to say here is that you come across as someone who's very much a family guy. Um, you obviously played Age of Empires with your father. You obviously care for your for your little brother. Um, how hard was it for you as a family guy to 
leave home for the first time and later on even move to Germany? I mean, I had already lived away from home. Uh, I lived in Tromsø for almost a year with, but I That's lived with also my brother. In the very north, right, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of of Norway. Correct. I lived with my brother and my uncle then. Still, like we, my uncle is two years older than me. My brother one year older. So we we rented an apartment together and lived in Tromsø for almost a year. Uh, that's kind of where I had a little bit of a burnout and moved back home again. Um, so yeah, I've lived with family my whole life until that point, pretty much. I wouldn't say it was hard because obviously I moved ten minutes walking distance from my parents still. So it was not like I left and like couldn't see them again. Um, and like where I lived, it's a small island. We had it's like two thousand people there, and most of my family is there. So I've always been very surrounded by family. I have realized after like getting more look into other people's families and like seeing how relationships are that our family is just it's a super relaxed atmosphere in the family. It's like there it is comes no, across. It definitely yeah, shows. There, there's no pressure from any angle in any way, and it's just like a super. I, I can't imagine having a better family than I have, if that makes sense. And uh, I think that also helped that my parents gave me the leeway in terms of pursuing this career if you will uh never any like my mom was a little bit like skeptical skeptical of like playing video game because she didn't have the insight obviously but my dad always he was a part of this community right he, he kind of had from the start yeah. yeah and knew what was going on the whole time and i think it's been a cool for him as well to see me grow up to become this in, inside his favorite game well uh, honestly as a parent it's like the i would say it's the dream for every parent for any father that your child sort of succeeds, becomes the best player in the world at the thing that you love to do. Must have been awesome for him. Um hope so. Now I, sorry. Yeah, as I just said, I hope so. But yeah, I mean, I've always had been close to my family. Uh, like for me as well, I have such a big family, right? It's hard for me to have like a proper close relationship with everyone because I have like 20 cousins, 25 cousins, something like that number now. I, I don't even know. That's how <laughs> big it is. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it's just like even though it's it could be a family member that I've, I talk to three times a year, but when we meet, it's just like this is my family, you know. It's it's just just like that. Awesome. Um, I want to ask you about something completely unrelated. Um, in my lifetime, there were two terrorist attacks that really shook me and really shocked me. And one of them was obviously 9-11. And the second one was the terrorist attacking the Utoya Island, where I'm yeah, certainly Utoya. butchering this, which interestingly enough happened almost exactly 10 years ago. It was on the 22nd of July, 2011, I believe. So just to those of you who don't remember this anymore, basically what happened is this guy disguised himself as a police officer. He then drove up to this small island in the outskirts of Oslo. I believe a youth camp was taking place there. Yeah, political um, youth camp. He, yeah, so he then gathered everyone in front of him under the false pretense that he had a very important message for everyone, then just simply opened fire. Uh, he, 70 people were killed. A big portion of them were minors. Um, as a Norwegian uh, living in a country where things like this don't happen, never. how happens. did it affect you and how did it affect the people around you back then? Uh, I, rem like, I remember it very strongly because... Like for me, that month is always I watch Tour de France. It's like my my like July month. I always used to watch Tour de France. My mom would also watch it, and I was watching Tour de France, and suddenly these news started popping up 
on, on the Tour de France uh, uh, presentation, like when they're showing the TV show, Tour de France is showing Norway. And I just remember how silent the commentary all of a sudden got and everything. And like, we didn't watch the cycling anymore. It was all about the, what's happening there. Uh, obviously, there was a bomb that blew, blew up in the yeah, city right of Oslo that. as well. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, just the more and more news came in and like that, I, of course, it's sad no matter who dies in these situations, but when it's like children or kids of, that are just starting their lives as well, right? I was in the almost like the same age of a lot of same people. Same age that them, yeah. Exactly. It's like just imagining being in a situation where you're just, you're stuck on an island as well. There's no escape uh, with a guy like that. It's just, I don't know. It, it does something to you as a human being and... Yeah, I don't really know. Did people talk about it or they they just couldn't? It's like, like what is there to say, right? It's like, obviously, this is, I don't, I don't even know. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't believe think disbelief I personally, yeah, I, just, I don't think I talked about it with anyone. It's more just like you process what's happening. And obviously, I'm sitting there and my mom is probably next to me. It's like, we're both just processing what is happening, right? And probably saying this is so sad and things like that. Um, my mom actually went there as well shortly after to like drop flowers and such uh, next to the where they had like a memory area so yeah obviously super sad mm -hmm. uh, okay let's get back to happier things okay. um <laughs> sometime after leaving your parents home you fall in love you meet your girlfriend debbie and you mm -hmm. move to germany to live with her and yes. you've been there since 2019 i believe correct um how did you guys meet when did you decide it's time to move to Germany? So the first time I learned of her existence in this world <laughs> was that I was streaming, doing my thing, you know, and then I was about to go offline. And I obviously, when I go offline, I scroll through the Age of Empire streamers, see who I'm going to host. And I saw like drunk stream. I'm like, okay, this looks interesting. <laughs> I saw a web camera. I saw drunk stream. I'm like, okay, this looks uh, like worthy of host. Promising. <laughs> yeah. So I, I opened the channel and I saw as well something written with, um, at this point, I had already also started playing a little bit with Rocket Beans, uh, the Rocket Beans from the Germany. German guys. Yeah. And uh, I saw something written Rocket Beans below her profile. So I was like, oh, maybe she's part of Rocket Beans. So I was like, okay, let's just host her. And I hosted her and... When I obviously when I host people, I also go to their channel for a minute or two to like see what happens and talk to them maybe. And she was like, just like, oh my god, god of age vampires and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, goodbye. <laughs> I, like, I, I can't handle that much of a fan fanboyism or that in that regard. But the truth is, she actually didn't really know me much. She had heard my name through Rocket Beans, and she just, in her words, she felt like she had to like show appreciation somehow and like so obviously being drunk as well it probably helped in that yeah, part. but yeah i felt a bit awkward entering that uh stream because she was a little bit over the top so i left her stream again and then i think it was being the parole to me like two hours after like she is such a big fan you should come and talk to her more things like that and like okay i'll drop by again and it was a little bit more calm then but then yeah, it, it was fun to watch and such so that's the first time i knew about her existence um we didn't really talk too much after that. A few Twitter messages after that, because she apologized for her behavior <laughs> after that. Uh, so a few Twitter messages, just like nothing serious, just like how any normal human would interact a little bit, a few messages now and then. Um, obviously, when I, I had no intention of anything of being interested in her at that point. It was just a person on the internet. Uh, but yeah, I went to NAC. NAC won the first Niels Apartment Cup happening in Hamburg. 
and there was going to be a meet and greet there. She also came there with like Bula Chen, Gluttony, a couple of the other community members. And then um, after, I think a couple of days in, maybe a Thursday or Friday, um, yeah, we went downstairs because there's a shisha place right below Nilo's apartment. And those guys came there and that was the first time we, we kind of met. And obviously I found, I immediately noticed that I thought this lady is beautiful. It's a pretty girl. And uh, yeah, she... Uh, apparently seemed interested in me as well in terms of yeah, just the talking rest is history no it was like we just hit it off and like we talked about things both had things in common interesting topics and and then she said that she didn't notice i was uh that i was losing hair and i was like okay this wow. this is the this guts. is real <laughs> wow no but uh yeah no it, it kind of went from there one step to another and yeah a year later i lived in germany so awesome um now, not even someone as beloved and as respected as you is totally free from controversy. So if you don't mind, I would like to ask you about some of the things people have criticized you for. I actually only have two things. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one is your recent partnership with a cryptocurrency, which a lot of people felt was a scam. And therefore, they criticized you for endorsing what they thought was a scam. Now, you very quickly pulled off out of it. And uh, I would like to know, why did you pull off so fast? And do you think the criticism was fair? So just to give a little bit, a bit of backstory there, I, I've been interested in cryptocurrency since 2018. Uh, me and my dad invested a little bit together back then at the peak, and then everything crashed, <laughs> as it tends to be. Uh, so yeah, I've always had some interest in cryptocurrency in recent years. And I started investing a little bit more a couple of months ago as well, um, you know, during Corona and such, you look for things to do and such. And I wanted to invest a little bit. And yeah, so I've had an interest in cryptocurrency. A longtime viewer of mine is a part of the Denarius uh, squad. And he connect, contacted me and said like, hey, uh, we are representing this coin and that. Uh, we are we have been like in a little bit of a down, uh, like silent for a while. But we want to now start doing some marketing and see if we can bring the coin to people's eyes. I was like, okay, what's the coin about and everything? He told me what the coin is, etc. What the features are. It's like similar to Bitcoin, just with better features, whatnot. Okay, like, okay, sounds decent. Okay, uh, blah blah blah. You know, just explain the coin and such. I'm like, okay, well, this seems interesting. I didn't think anything further than that, really. I obviously I'm aware that there are scam coins and like pump and dump schemes, things like that, but I didn't really think that a long time viewer of mine would come to me with such a project either that was intended to scam my my audience like that just never crossed my mind now i obviously understand in hindsight that looking at a coin i could i understand that people could view it as a potential pump and dump or a scam coin i understand that do i personally still think it is that based on my interactions with the guy i was talking to and such i don't honestly know I don't think it is. I just think it's just been a silent coin. Whether it's a scam mm -hmm. coin or not, I can't say, honestly. Mm -hmm. But obviously, the I at that point, when obviously when I announced the partnership, there was a lot of feedback on Reddit it's in, in particular. And I got quite hurt by a lot of the feedback there, a lot of the accusations thrown around. I was feeling really... I was supposed to stream Deathmatch World Cup. I was supposed to stream Ellis Charity Invitational that weekend. I just couldn't. I just felt so hurt in some ways and really it's probably the worst i've felt in a lot of long time long long time 
Um, so I was really down. Whether the criticism criticism is justified or not, I don't know. It might be. Like if if it turns out that I would have endorsed this coin and it turned out to be a scam coin, obviously criticism would have been justified. But I simply won't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I felt like the backlash was a lot and I felt like I can't take the risk in case it is a, a scam or I don't want to, I never want to hurt my audience. These are the guys that is the reason why I'm in the position I am. Like I would never ever do anything that could actually make them, or I wouldn't never want to do anything that could make them lose their whole livelihood, so to say. And then I saw some comments around like that, uh, that I was purposefully endorsing a scam coin or trying to scam my audience, like things like that, that I would say I'm a pretty strong guy in terms of internet criticism. I don't let much get to me, but those types of things, they, they get to me. So, yeah. Right. So I personally have absolutely no clue about cryptocurrency. So I'm just going going to play devil's advocate here based on some Mm -hmm. of the things that I read. And some people, as you've said yourself, claimed that you had been interested in crypto for a long time. And they also said that anyone with even just a little bit of experience would still be able to recognize that this currency was a scam. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just not clear to you? Is it still not clear? You just said you're still not quite clear that it's a scam. But what what, what, what would you say to that? I, I will be the first one to admit that I don't have enough knowledge about cryptocurrencies to be make statements like that. So uh, I don't know myself still. I, I don't know how to judge whether a coin is a scam or not. I don't know what's the criteria. So for me, it's I could have obviously asked people that know better than me. I could have uh, investigated more myself regarding the coin and gotten more opinions. So that's definitely error of judgment on my part. Because I, I have friends that know more about crypto than I do. So I, I could have done that and should have in hindsight done that as well. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're on point there. Like, I, I don't know. So I should have. I don't have the knowledge to say whether it is or not and what's the criteria, like I said. So uh, you're definitely right in that regard. Okay. So now the other criticism uh, that I've seen thrown around is that you have in the past staged some results. Now, people have claimed this dozens of times for lots of different tournaments, but I still have very fresh in my memory how many people actually really believed it, that the best of 21 between you and Jordan was totally staged. So you guys just purposely traded games to make sure that it goes to the last game. Is there any truth to this? Uh, The best of 21 against Jordan? Absolutely not. There was no... We both played our best and tried to win. Like, for us, we we were... Obviously, super close friends, but also the biggest rivals. We would never purposefully trade games. I would, I would have loved to beat him 11-0 back then, you know. So there's absolutely zero truth to that. Uh, regarding staging of other games, there's never ever been a, a single game that I've ever staged or tried to like make the outcome this way or that way. Um, I know there's also one in the top experts league. I played Riot in the last match. The last where... against, um, um, no, I believe it was yeah, it was you versus Riot, and people yeah. claim. You lost on purpose to make sure that Chris is not able to play the uh, the next uh, top experts league. Well, so Chris would have uh, like Rio got third because he beat me, and Chris got fourth. It was just one of those things where like uh, this was already a phase where I played a lot of Age of Empires, and that match for me was completely irrelevant. I didn't have the try hard motivation to just go full ham and try to beat Rio because it's. 
don't know, the format was to the point where I don't want to criticize your format, but totally there were fine. matches that were completely irrelevant to the yeah, you, outcome. At that point, you, you had already qualified for the final. Yeah. So that game was totally irrelevant to you. Yeah. But obviously, I do understand that I, I could still impact the outcome of other results in the like the order of rankings where you finish. So in, in that regard, it is somewhat my own fault. Like I, I should definitely have been more professional, you might say, in that regard and try harder, so to say. Uh, so there is probably justification in that criticism. And that's not only that set. It's also other matches that are, in theory, that I have less motivation to perform my best or I have slacked off or some people like to call it trolling and whatnot um, but st purposefully staging the results uh, absolutely not cool so you have completely dominated the scene from roughly 2013 to 2020 I would say and I've said this many many times and I think it's never too much to reinforce how unbelievable and impressive that is uh, especially in a game where everyone agrees RNG plays a big role, that you still are able to be completely above that. It's absolutely unbelievable. And during the during that time, you said several times that you would actually welcome it and you thought it would be a good thing for the community if someone actually started seriously challenging you and actually beating you in tournament. Uh, well, the time has come. The Vipers dynasty is over. Sorry, I, I couldn't <laughs> read it. And so is Heroes and Lyrus and Yos, by the way. Yeah, so what has changed? Um, do you just not care about the game anymore? Are you too old? Are you making too much money outside of the tournaments that you don't care about them anymore? And again, I'm just throwing around a couple of the things that I've heard and read. Yeah. All right, so you can address some of those uh, things. Uh, like uh, I uh, isolate them and address them, like those couple of statements. So well, do, just, I not, yeah. Just yeah, do I not care anymore? I absolutely care. 100%. I still love to compete and I would love to win every, sing every single tournament to take part in. Now, there are some tournaments that have less importance than others um, where like things I'm streaming, for example, or show matches, those things aren't that important to me. But obviously, the, the big events such as Hidden Cup, Nils Apartment Cup, Red Bull Volos, these things, I absolutely 100% want to win those and I absolutely 100% care if I don't perform to my expected standards. Um, I'm making too much money outside of tournaments to care about tournaments. Tournaments never have been about money for me. It's the prestige that I chase and that I get triggered from. Like, of course, winning money is nice and everyone likes money. But for me, if I win Red Bull Volo 4, the first thing I think about is not, oh, I won $8,000. Obviously, that might come off in a very bad way if, to some people because it is a lot of money. It is a lot of money to me as well. But it's like, for me, the first thing is always the prestige of the tournament. That is what gives me the ultimate satisfaction. And uh, like, for example, winning Hidden Cup last year, 4-0 against Hera, the prestige from that, obviously, there was a lot of money. I won a lot of money there as well. Obviously, super happy about that as well. But winning a final in such a prestigious tournament, 4-0, was just like, it gives you a good feeling, you know, if you're a competitive person. Um so that is obviously the first reason why I still like to remain competitive and want to win tournaments. But of course, a lot of these prize pools these days are life-changing money for a lot of people. So I don't take that for granted. Uh, what was the last one? I'm getting yeah, too old. So <laughs> what, what, what has changed? It's what I want to know. What has changed? Mm -hmm. Why are you not as dominating as you were before? 
Well, I think with the release of the E, a lot of people are investing more time into the game. There are more consistent high price pool tournaments, so a lot of people are training harder. Um, I feel like part of some of my results have been a little bit bad luck, a little bit unfortunate circumstances. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't feel like I'm playing worse than I did before when I when I perform. I feel like I might be slightly less consistent. Whether that is due to getting old, I mean, I'm 29 years old now, you know. Oof. So whether that is losing hair, yeah, losing hair, you know. Uh, obviously, I'm also in a relationship now with Debbie. I have pets to take care of, things like that. But those are things that I don't feel like they've ever gotten in way in the way of me playing age. You know, it's just a supplement to my life. It's never been affecting how much I can train, how much I can stream, how much I can compete. So I don't think that. Of course, there is a tension elsewhere as well in life but i don't think that has any negative impact on my age of empires um but yeah i've also had i mean the last year and a half my wrist has been a little bit of a concern um i never really knew what was wrong until now but also i feel like when my wrist feels okay i can still play my 100 best and it doesn't affect my performance but what it does affect to a certain extent is the ability to grind right for Hidden Cup, as an example, uh, I played two days in a row with Jordan. We probably played a couple hours, like six hours of full try-hard grinding, two days in a row. The third day, I was supposed to train as well. I couldn't use my mouse. I, my, I just... Something felt so wrong. I couldn't... Like, it just feels like something is blocking my movement. And it was... Uh, that was a scary feeling, actually, then. Because uh, I was supposed to train, but luckily we had multiple teammates there so someone else could train instead and i just had to sit back and not use my right hand for like a whole day pretty much and so that's a bit scary in some regard i obviously had a scan recently where it showed i had like a benign tumor in my wrist and uh, that is very likely the reason for my issues and uh, it's probably appeared from over usage um so yeah that is a, I, hopefully I'm tra taking some precautions now. Hopefully it will be improve. It has affected my ability to grind and train, but I don't think it has affected my ability to play. So in short, I think the biggest reason is just that a lot of people are taking the game more serious. A lot of people are training hard. Uh, I'm training hard as well, but um, it's as open as, as it has ever been in terms of competition. We have probably four or five guys that can win tournaments for the viewers it's amazing yeah. it's awesome uh yeah so you recently went public with uh, that whole wrist ordeal and um if you don't mind talking about it i'm i'm kind of curious how serious of an issue is this i mean assuming things go horribly wrong uh does this have the potential to prevent you from playing age of empires at a professional level in the future or is that still a very unlikely scenario at this point um, I don't really know what to expect at the moment. Um, the thing is, like, I don't have to have surgery. That's the first thing. And that's a good sign. Because if I would have to have surgery, that would very likely have, like, a potentially worse outcome long-term. Impact long -term. the nerves, probably. Yeah, exactly. It would have been worse. So at the moment, the recommendation from the doctor was use your wrist less, hold a mouse. like Because when I'm holding a mouse, uh, I hold like this. So I'm always having my arm put up. Obviously, people that are listening to this cannot see, but like, just imagine you're holding a mouse. Uh, so I'm obviously now I'm wearing this hand thing as well that keeps my wrist in a certain position to avoid that movement. 
And so I'm trying to have that movement way less, which obviously I need that movement when I'm playing competitive Age of Empires, uh, which is why I'm also trying to do a little bit more casting now and calmer things, so to say. Mm-hmm. But long term, I don't think, I don't know, honestly. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to stop me from playing at one point. Hopefully not. Uh, I would also love to give it a try in AV4 if it becomes an eSport to see if I can compete. But that's the that's one where I'm a little bit worried that I potentially cannot put the hours to grind to get competitive. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole streaming business in general is still fairly new and like unexplored territory for uh, everybody, obviously. How confident are you that you're going to be doing this until uh, professionally, until the end of your working days, for example? Uh, this is a thing that is also, it's really hard to predict, right? Ten years ago, it was hard to imagine making a living off of streaming video games, right? And now Impossible. we have so, yeah, so many people in the world in such a short time span that are making a living out of making YouTube videos, Twitch streams, all these types of stuff. Um, I don't know what Age of Empires will look like five years from now. I don't know what it looks like ten years from now. I don't know what my stream will look like ten years from now. Obviously, the, like if you look at streaming right now, there's not a lot of old people streaming, right? But that's also because no, no young people. Yeah, but no, no young people start like no young people started streaming at a point where they have the time to get old. It's a new business. It's exactly. A new, it's a new job. So we don't know. Maybe like it, like say twenty years from now. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Doctor Disrespect. Of course. Yeah, twenty years from now, is he gonna sit there with gray hair and still be like the two time? <laughs> you know, we we don't know, right? It's uh, it's exciting. This is also why I'm not planning too far ahead because I don't know what it's gonna be like. And is that gonna be acceptable? Uh, yeah. when it comes to that right exactly. um, are people going to find that funny so many mm. uncertainties right okay so age of Empire, uh, age of empires 4 um i mean you obviously have been playing it for a long time there's not much that you can tell i understand that um are you excited for it does it have the potential to dethrone age of empires 2 as the most popular game in the franchise so yeah i've played it on and off since 2000 late 2018 uh, but the times I've played has been at very early stages and with like months and months between every time I played. And it's been very different every time I played. Um, so I, I feel like just to judge the game off of what I have played is wrong. But every time I played, it's been significantly better and more enjoyable for me to play. Um, I think it's a different game to Age of Empires 2, naturally, which it should be. I think it's going to be hard to actually, like, you cannot put them, like, with AV2 and AV3, for example, you put them up next to each other, you compare. And people are like, oh, AV2 is so much better. I feel like AV4 will be a different game to the point where you should not compare the games like that. I think it will be a good game. I think a lot of people will enjoy playing it. Whether it will become eSport or not, I'm not sure. You think that's Um, part of the focus? I think it's in the back of their minds, but I don't think they're making the game for esports. I think they're making the game for players that enjoy RTS, players that enjoy these historical battles, the medieval era, whatnot. Um, so obviously they still are fitting in features and such that make esports more possible. But whether it will be a successful esport or not, only time will tell. Um, but yeah, for my own sake, I definitely want to play it and stream it and see where it takes us, right? I think it will definitely have a massive boost initially. But at, I don't think we should view it as can it dethrone AV2. I think it will be a game different next game. to AV2. Yeah, different game. 
Are they actually listening to your feedback? Absolutely. Like the feedback we've given over the, the last three years, since the first time we played it, we have seen a lot of our suggestions and feedback come to life in the next version and so forth. Um, like as, as an example, the game at the start was so slow paced. People might think AV2 was slow paced. AV4 was like a whole different level slow paced uh, initially. So first feedback I ever gave them was, this game is so freaking slow. I cannot watch them farm and such for 20 minutes before I start playing. And next version we played, five months later, game was way faster. But even then it was slow. We said again, no, this is too slow. Five months later, game was suddenly like, okay, this is actually now good pace, right? So they're, they're definitely taking our feedback into account. And hopefully we somewhat have helped to improve the game. Awesome. Um, last question, then I'll let you go. Uh, Red Wolf 4 is just around the corner, and you've been looking incredibly sharp in these most recent months. I mean, you've reached your all-time high in tournament ELO. Um, how confident are you that this is going to be the one that you're going to be taking home? Um, I feel like I'm playing well, but then again, last Red Bull as well, I felt like I did really well. Like in training last Red Bull, I probably won 90% of my training games. Um, Feels somewhat similar this time, so far. Uh, but yeah, last Red Bull, I also went out in the round of eight. So even though the, it was the best training and preparation I had done for a Red Bull event, I still went out in round eight. I I feel confident as always I tend to do, because I feel like I'm playing well. But uh, Red Bull is, though Empire Wars rather, is very different. And it's a very snowbally game mode where anything from the early game can snowball out of control. So hard to say. I feel I feel good. I am expecting like I if I leave this Red Bull feeling like I played well, I'm gonna be happy because I feel like That's I haven't done free. that. Yeah, I haven't done that the last two or even three editions, I would say. Um so if I if I can do that, I would feel happy. And if I do that, it also probably means that I've had a pretty good result. So nice. That's that's the that's the be rooting for oh, you, man. End goal is to win the tournament, but we'll see. Obviously, uh, Orion, thank you so much for this, man. It was great fun. Had a blast. It Thanks, was a, man. it was awesome being here, Nelson. Thank you very much. Good luck to you, man. Bye bye. Thank you. Mm -hmm.